last 10 years in Denver, Colorado, where we lived up until 16 months ago, my wife and I have been attending a church of 150 people. This feels a little unfamiliar. <laughs> and it's a little bit difficult for me to welcome to the service the Cactus Campus, the venue, the chapel, to realize people are looking at me that I can't see. <laughs> and also those who are listening online, but you're all very welcome to be here. If you look in your bulletins, you'll notice that um, the title that was given to my sermon on the left-hand side at the top is uh, When Life Isn't Working, and that's the title that I gave to Nick and the tech team, but then shortly after that, as I was rereading the book of Jeremiah, which is my topic today to see what God is wanting to say to us in the miserable life of a failed prophet, what is he saying to us in that? And I was, I was reading it through, it occurred to me that maybe a a little different title might work. And so I did suggest it to the team. They weren't able to get it in the bulletin that had already been printed, but they did get it in your study notes. And it seems to me that as we look at the life of Jeremiah, we're going to see in just a little bit that there was one point in his life that he said something that I've said a time or two, and maybe you have, well, have, have as well. He effectively said this, we'll look at the actual quote in a little while, but he effectively said at one point in his 40 years of difficult ministry and a very difficult life, he essentially said to God, look, I know you're with me. I understand that. I have no doubt about that. But I have a problem that I want to bring to you, God, and the problem, God, is you. You're with me. And you aren't doing what I thought you'd be doing. You aren't protecting me as you told me you would in chapter 1 of Jeremiah. When God called Jeremiah to the ministry, he said, I'm going to protect you. Against what? I'm somewhat struggling with you, God. I don't like what you're doing for me one bit. Hence the new title. Well, this is the second in a series of two, obviously, when faith goes on trial. And last week, we thought about the fact that there are times in our lives, perhaps times in yours, I imagine there's time in yours, certainly in mine, when God seems to have vanished, when there's no evidence of his involvement in our lives. We pray with our prayers getting no higher than the ceiling and we struggle. We wonder if there really is a God who's working on our behalf. Our confidence in God's goodness seems to be in question for a season. But that wasn't Jeremiah's problem. He wasn't aware of God's absence. He was aware of God's disturbing presence. And I wonder if that's something that I sometimes feel, and perhaps you do as well, because he had been called to the ministry. We've all been called to something, some to public ministry, some to just ministering in your family and being good husbands and wives and fathers and mothers and friends and members of the church. We all have our ministries. We all have our opportunities. And we expect certain things to come from them. But Jeremiah, after 40 years of misery and failure... When nobody listened to his ministry, when so many people hated him, he was badly treated, religious leaders plotted against him, wanting him to be dead. And it just seems to me as I've been pondering this story of the book of Jeremiah that he wouldn't be at all comfortable with singing a hymn that some of us older folks have sung in early in days in church. Count your blessings, name them one by one, <clears throat> and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Well, that was Jeremiah's problem. It did surprise him. 
It surprised him in a very negative way, and he wasn't quite sure what to do with it. Well, as I've been reflecting on Jeremiah and wanting to look at it very personally, in terms of my own struggles now as a 73-year-old man, several questions have occurred to me. I want to respond to one somewhat briefly, and then the second one I'll raise a little bit later. But the first one that I want to raise with you and ask about, why do you suppose that God took the time to tell the story of a failed prophet in the second longest book of the Bible. Jeremiah is the second longest book in the Bible. Psalms is the longest. And you might say, no, wait a minute, Larry, Isaiah has 66 chapters and Jeremiah only has 52, but there are more words in Jeremiah's 52 chapters than there are in Isaiah's 66 chapters, so it is the second longest book in the Bible. And I ask, what are you trying to get across to us, God? Holy Spirit, you've arranged this. You saw to it that the longest book in the Bible was going to tell the story of a failed prophet who led a very difficult, miserable life. And I struggle with that, and I say, there's got to be something important for you to devote that much time to this story of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, what, what sustained you during all these 40 miserable years of failure? How did you manage it? How did you keep going? And I wonder, is there something that Jeremiah heard that we can hear even more strongly post-Calvary? Is there something we can hear even more strongly that might sustain us when life doesn't seem to be going the way we thought it was supposed to go? Or to put the question much more simply, so what is the good news for today? What is the gospel before we get to heaven? And the very simple question that I ask, I think I might have mentioned it last week, so what good is God in this moment? Some years ago, when I was 30 years old, I was sitting with, over lunch with a man named Dr. William Hendrickson. At the time, he was 80 years old. Dr. Hendrickson, if you know the name, a renowned New Testament scholar, written many commentaries, and he was speaking at our church, and I wanted to meet with him for lunch. I asked if I could, and he agreed to it. <clears throat> we were sitting over lunch, and I had just read his book on Galatians, and I wanted to be asking him, Dr. Hendrickson, what was Paul so upset about in the book of Galatians when he said in the first chapter, you Christians are buying into a false gospel. You've perverted the true gospel into news that sounds better to you, and I'm very upset about this because the good news of God is the best news imaginable, even when it doesn't look like it. Dr. Hendrickson, help me understand what the book of Galatians is all about in terms of straightening out the lesson of the gospel that the Galatians were getting so mixed up about. Well, for about an hour, Dr. Galatians shared with me from his brilliance and his knowledge of the culture and his knowledge of the Greek language and all of his vast knowledge way beyond mine then and now, and for as he was talking to me as a scholar, I remember nodding my head to look intelligent. <laughs> oh yeah, boy, no idea what he was talking about. But at the end of this lunch, when I was hearing some very profound truth from Dr. Hendrickson, something changed. As our lunchtime drew to an end, he became a different person almost. He reached his hand across and he laid his age-marked hand on mine, and with a, an excitement that almost felt like a child on Christmas morning, with tears in his eyes, he said these words. I'll never forget them. He said, oh, Larry, I think I'm 
just beginning to understand the gospel. I remember in my arrogant youth thinking, can I help? <laughs> I mean, what's so confusing about it? It seems to me that it's pretty obvious, you know. Um, I sinned, Jesus died, I'm forgiven, heaven awaits. Until then, Jesus will lead me and I'll gratefully count all of my blessings. Anything wrong with that picture? Well, fast forward 43 years to today. I look back at my life and the first part of that simple gospel seems quite clear. I sinned, Jesus died, I'm going to heaven. But how about now? I look back at my years and I see a number of things. Each of us in this room has their stories. My stories are no different than yours except in detail. We've all had our struggles. My short list of a few struggles. My mother died of a miserable death of Alzheimer's. Dad spent his last years with a wife who didn't know was hugging her. My brother was killed in a plane crash, left behind two children. I currently have cancer. My wife tore up her shoulder a couple of weeks ago. My son went through a painful divorce. God, what are you doing in the middle of all this? God, I know you're my mighty deliverer. I love that hymn we, that has been sung. I love you, my mighty deliverer, but what are you delivering me from? What are you protecting me against? God, I want to understand you better. Can you help me through Jeremiah's book to see what it is that sustained Jeremiah as good news in the middle of a difficult life? So my first question is, well, why did God devote the second longest book in the Bible to the story of a godly man who led a miserable life as a faithful prophet to whom nobody listened? And I want to suggest just two simple thoughts. The first thought is this. See if this makes sense to you, to whatever degree you're familiar with the life story of Jeremiah that I've simply very briefly outlined. Thought one. God values perseverance through discouragement more than success in life. I've got a new book coming out in July. I want it to sell well for a lot of reasons. I think it has an important message. Plus, I make money when it sells. I don't mind being successful. Is it wrong to be successful? Not at all. Is it wrong to depend on success for your joy? Absolutely. God values perseverance through discouragement more than success in life. He's committed to my perseverance, not to my success, as we define success. Thought number one from Jeremiah's life. Thought number two, very similar but a little bit different. God values faithfulness in adversity more than comfort in life. He values faithfulness in adversity. But when things go wrong, I want them to go right. I want to find some way to manage my life and to be sufficiently biblical and sufficiently godly that God will be obligated to straighten my life out the way I want him to straighten it out. And when that is my attitude, there's something within me that I would call a demanding spirit, a spirit of entitlement that is saying, but God, I had devotions this morning. Why didn't my life go well today? I've been faithful. Why not that? Faithful in adversity as opposed to faithful when life is going well, merely that. So those two thoughts come to me as I look at the story of Jeremiah and it upends the way a lot of today's Christians think. It upends the way that I've thought many years. 
And what I came to grips with one day in my private practice as a psychologist, a guy came to see me. And when I was in practice for 10 years in Boca Raton, Florida, I'm a trained professional, so I know how to start a session. I say, how can I help you? <laughs> After that, generally chaos, but the how can I help you gets us started. Well, this guy, my, my 10 o'clock client, how can I help you? And this is a true story. Some of my stories are true, this one is. <laughs> he, said, he said these words to me, he said, I want to feel better quick. My first thought was, me too. <laughs> but then I had to respond, and my supervisor at the time was um, Bob Newhart. <laughs> and so when he said, I want to feel better quick, I responded by, and I really did this, I responded by saying, so um, what, 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 what you're saying is that you, you want to feel better um, uh, quick. And he said, yeah, Doc, I think you're getting it. What do you recommend? And I said, well, if you want to feel better quick, what I'd recommend would be that you get a case of your favorite alcoholic beverage, <laughs> secure the services of several immoral women, and go to the Bahamas for a month. He looked at me and he said, are you a Christian? And I said, why do you ask? He said, your advice doesn't sound very Christian, doesn't sound very biblical to me, but I said it is. If you want to feel better quick, now be very careful with my next sentence. If you want to feel better quick, I don't recommend Jesus. Because he said at the end of John 16, I promise you many trials and sorrows as you live in this fallen world. But if you want to know a peace that passes understanding, meaning it passes understanding because it girds you up in the middle of all the struggles of life when you don't feel very good. If you want to know my joy of being able to love when your life is really miserable and you still can be there for somebody else, if you want to know that kind of peace, that kind of joy, then the only answer I have is Jesus. But if you want to feel better quick, I recommend a miserable life of sin that will end up leaving you absolutely wasted, pleasures and sin for a season, and then despair. So what's the good news of the gospel as we live in this world? Well, it certainly isn't that everything's gonna go the way you want it to, but maybe perseverance and faithfulness have a lot to do with the opportunity that we have when trials come. And with those simple thoughts in my mind, the second question that occurred to me was this, God, what, if I'm going to live a persevering life in the middle of all the struggles and discouragement and upsets, if I'm going to be faithful to you when adversity comes and my prayer life seems to be useless, you don't change what is difficult in my life, what does a God-honoring life of perseverance and faithfulness look like? Well, what I want to do is to take into account the fact that all of us have our stories, as I've mentioned. And the degree to which you really want to lead a God-honoring life as I do, and you want to finish well as I do, what does a God-honoring life look like in the middle of all the struggles of life? And Jeremiah gives us something to think about. Because as I mentioned earlier, very briefly, I'll say it again, he did not have a life 
that we would call the good life of God's blessings as we define God's blessings as things that make us comfortable in this existence. His family turned on him. The four, maybe five kings of Judah he served under treated him as a, as a rebel, as a false prophet. There was a pit that he was sunk into that had no water in it. It was a well without water. He stood in smelly mud for a time. There was a plot against his life. He was hung in stocks for a while. And Jeremiah responded to all these difficulties by complaining. People who, when they have trouble, say, no problem, I have Jesus. I wonder, are you living in denial of how much your soul hurts? Are you living in denial of how it's difficult to really trust God's goodness and to be deeply in love with him in the middle of things that he is not providing for you, that you prayed for? What does it mean to be faithful to God in the middle of all this adversity? Well, he complained, and he complained at least four times, maybe five, depending on how you read the text. But I want to read to you from chapter 20 of Jeremiah. Chapter 20 in Jer Jeremiah, starting at verse seven, verse 7, going through verse 18, I want to read some of these verses, and then I want to make comments on them as I go through them, because these are the words of Jeremiah's last complaint that's recorded in the book. And it happened after about 20 years of his failed ministry. He had 20 more years to go, and he finished well. He was in Egypt, where he did not want to be, with exiles who rebelled against God and went to Egypt. And he was writing a letter to the exiles that were in Babylon, and it was a letter of encouragement. By the end of his life, he still was preaching God's word, even though nobody had listened to him before, and he got in trouble every time he did. And after 20 years, he uttered these words that I want to read to you in just a moment. And as I read these words to you and comment on each of them briefly, keep one, one thought in your mind. See if this thought makes any sense to you. Maybe it'll make more sense as I go through the rest of my text. Here's the thought. Nothing more powerfully surfaces the deepest longing in our redeemed souls than fully acknowledging to God our struggle to trust his goodness when life is hard. Can you follow that? Nothing more powerfully surface, surfaces the deepest longing in our redeemed souls than fully acknowledging to God our struggle to trust God's goodness when life is hard. Oswald Chambers once wrote that the root of all sin is the suspicion that God isn't good. And life raises that question in our minds and requires us to redefine goodness. Chapter 20, Jeremiah's words. And these words, by the way, this lament of Jeremiah in chapter 20 were written just after he was put in stocks by the high priest, a man named Peshur. And after living in these stocks for one day, he was released from the stocks and he vented his rage at Pashur. If you look at the first couple of verses in Jeremiah 20, you read that. And after just venting his rage against all the indignity and the, humility, the humiliation and the pain that was being put through because he was a prophet of God, he was a true prophet, and he was denounced as a false prophet, after going through all of that misery and just raging at Pashur, the prophet who put him in the, the priest rather, put him in the stocks, Jeremiah apparently went off by himself and he said this to God, chapter 20 and verses 7 and 8. Listen to the words. You deceived me, Lord, 
and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everybody mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. That's what you told me to say, God. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. Strong words. I hear him fully acknowledging all that is in him and is happening to him. And I really want to stop for a second and ask, is it a good thing to be deeply in touch with all of our internal struggles that we try to hide from everybody else? Is it a good thing to be aware of our inner life, if you will, our interior world where we struggle, where we doubt, where we have crazy insecurities, where we have doubts, where we have all sorts of things happening that don't seem consistent with the Christian walk? Is it not important to be aware of all that? God meets us where we are, not where we pretend to be. He meets us where we are, not where we wish we are. So perhaps to meet God most deeply, we need to present ourselves most fully into his presence. And that's what Jeremiah is doing. You deceived me. The word in Hebrew is a word that could mean deceive, dupe, trick, made a fool of. What Jeremiah is saying when he says, God, you deceived me, is you've pulled a bait and switch on me. You called me in chapter 1 to be your prophet to the nations. You called me to tear down and build up and destroy and replant. You told me to do all these glorious things. Looked like I had quite a ministry ahead of me. And you promised you'd protect me. You didn't do it. You've tricked me. You've baited me into the ministry. And then you've switched me switched on me your plans and I'm not very happy about it at all. There's nothing I can see that you protected me from. I've been deceived by you. Just a word of personal testimony for a moment. For the last six months, maybe a little bit longer, there's been something that's been going wrong in our, in our lives that's very difficult for me personally. And I've been praying with the Luke 18 in my mind with the story of the persistent widow who went to an uncaring judge, and because she repeatedly went to him, he finally said, oh, for goodness sakes, I'll give you what you asked for. And then Jesus says, now listen to me in the parable, and don't you understand that what, what I'm going to do is, don't you think, Jesus said, don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Well, I've been praying for something that seems very just to me day and night for the last six months, maybe longer, and there's nothing happening. God, what are you talking about? What am I to do? Continue. Why? Is God giving me a stone when I ask for bread? Is he giving me a serpent when I ask for fish? Jesus said that'll never happen. Well, that's Jeremiah talking in verses 7 and 8. And then verses 9 and 10, he goes on to say, but if I say, and notice their response here, if I, if I say my ministry has gotten too difficult, I'm out of here. But if I say, I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I hear many whispering, terror on every side, denounce him, let's denounce him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying, perhaps you'll be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. Jeremiah was saying, my life is getting so miserable, everybody's against me, and they're hoping that I slip and make a fool of myself and get in big trouble. Everybody's going to rejoice when I fail. Well, I, I have some folks that are very opposed to my ministry. I've had three books written against me. And I kind of think that some of the people that I've come to know, if, if I were to... God forbid, never happened yet. No, it's not, it's not gonna happen. But if I were to have an affair and the scandal were to made, be made public, 
there'd be some people who would smile and say, I figured it might happen to him. That's what Jeremiah's talking about. I was invited some years ago to go to South America to speak to a thousand pastors. And it was a two year before the, I was scheduled to come, a two year invitation. I said, yes. Six months before the occasion came, we got a phone call to my office and they said, we're, we're rescinding our, our invitation. Dr. Crabb is no longer welcome here. And of course, my assistant said, tell me why. Well, we just heard on Christian radio from California that Dr. Crabb is in jail for income tax evasion. <laughs> Can I tell you how grateful I am I wasn't accused of adultery because I could deny it, but there'd be no proof. But I wasn't in jail. Call IRS, they love me. I pay my bills. What do you feel when you get that kind of stuff? It's hard. What's the point? I just, just about had it. You ever feel like that? And Jeremiah, in the middle of all of that, goes on to verses 11 and 13. And the switch is remarkable. After lamenting deeply how difficult his life was, now he just shouts out and says, but the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They'll fall and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them. For to you, I've committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. How do you go from the first couple of verses to that? I don't know. It's a mistake for a preacher to ask a question he can't answer. I'm not sure. But I'll tell you a quick story. Our younger son, and I say this with, this with permission, our youngest son endured a, a very, very painful and unwanted divorce some years ago. And he said in the middle of his great sadness, great anxiety, great sense of failure, he said to his mother and dad, me and my wife Rachel, I've saved up enough money, I'm going to go far away for about 10 days, and if I don't find the Lord as I don't know him now, I'm not going to make it. He went halfway across the world, he took one book with him, The Cost of Discipleship, by Dirk Bonhoeffer. And before he went, I said to him, Ken, I'm going to be praying for you every day. And I'm going to make you a minimal guarantee so I won't fail. I'll be praying a lot more than this, but I'm going to be praying for you 15 minutes every day at the very least. I'm sure a lot more. Because I'm going to pray for you. I love you, my son. You're going through a very difficult time in your life. Life is awful for you right now. And I'm going to be praying for you. Is God Almighty? Am I going to be able to sing sometime? He had been in Bali is where he was for seven days. And I was driving from Denver to Colorado Springs. I had an appointment on a Saturday it was about noon, I was driving for a 1.30 appointment. As I'm driving down, I was praying for my son. Have you ever gotten bored when you pray? <laughs> a little bit of uncomfortable chuckle there, maybe? Well, I had the radio on. And I'm listening to music, and I decided to spend my time praying for Ken. So, um, dear Lord, uh, yeah, I really want to pray for, I don't like the channel, let me change it here. Um, I do ask you, Lord, Ken's in, uh, right now he's struggling, and I really want, no, I don't like that either. I could, that's too loud. Turn. And after a few minutes, I thought, this is, a, this is absurd, this is pathetic. So I turned the radio off, and I said, what is in my heart that I want to pray for? And this is what happened. I began, began singing three songs. 
And I began crying so hard, I pulled the car over the side of the road, I couldn't drive. The three songs that I was singing were number one, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Oh God, that's my prayer for Ken. May he be able to say in the middle of you're allowing him to meet this girl that has since broken his heart. Why didn't you keep her from meeting her so he wouldn't have gone through this tragedy? Great is thy faithfulness. What does it mean to my son? May he be able to sing that song. Secondly, may he be able to sing the simple chorus. I love you, Lord, that chorus. And I lift my voice. What would it mean to be able to sing that song in the middle of I love you, God, even though you didn't give me what I wanted. You allowed me my heart to be broken. And thirdly, the Crab family song, we sing it at all our special occasions. It's well with my soul. God, may he be able to sing as well with my soul. And I sang those three songs over and over and over again. I know all 10 verses to each hymn. I've been raised in a Christian home. There's no 10 verses, but I made them up. <laughs> I dried my eyes eventually and went down. Ken came back three days later. Rachel and I went to meet him. We were sitting having lunch. I got him from the airport, anxious to hear what happened. And I decided to share with him those three songs that I had prayed. And as I told him the story, I just told you, Ken sat up and he went, wow. I went, oh, what's the wow about? And he said, dad, mom, for seven days, I could not be alone. I had to live in distraction. The pain was too great. And then one evening about close to midnight, I couldn't sleep and I walked to the beach for three hours and dad, you told me you were singing this song at about 12.30 to 1, somewhere's in there. I did my time zone calculation. And as you were singing those songs, I was walking the beach for three hours and I couldn't stop singing three songs. <laughs> Hound dog, don't be cruel. No, no. <laughs> the three, that was pathetic. The three songs that he sung were, great is thy faithfulness. I love you, Lord, as well with my soul. My gosh. Maybe there's a Holy Spirit, do you think? Maybe it's possible to have moments in life when we can sing to the Lord like Jeremiah sang to the Lord. I sang to the Lord when I heard that. Ken's doing well today. He's married to a wonderful lady. Blessing upon blessings. We're, I'm going to count those blessings and I'm going to enjoy those blessings. But I can't count on blessings to continue forever until I get to forever. Who knows tomorrow? And Jeremiah, after singing to the Lord in verses 14 to 18, listen to what he said. It's a radical shift again. After singing to the Lord, as I sang to the Lord in that story about my son, that true story about my son, who's doing well today. I talked to him on the phone yesterday. Do I ever get down to this? Jeremiah sure did. Verses 14 to 18. Cursed be the day I was born. You were just singing a minute ago. What happened to you, Jeremiah? May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father to the news my, who made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towers the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning, a battle cry at, night, at noon. For he didn't kill me in the womb with my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end, all the, and to end my days in shame? What's happening to Jeremiah? Maybe what's happening to you, and maybe what too often has been happening to me. Not sure if I've said those exact words, but I've come close. You read those words, and as one commentator put it, he said this on that particular passage from Jeremiah, quote, what prayers say about God in their screams in the night, they may not want integrated into their creedal statement. It's worth noting that the Spirit saw to it that we'd hear Jeremiah's screams in the night. Why? 
I think in a congregation this size, there must be many who suffer so deeply that Jeremiah's words give voice to where perhaps you are today and where I've been many times, not this morning, but I've certainly been there. I know what it's like. You do as well. The book of Jeremiah serves many purposes. And as we come to a close, I want to take a few more moments. As I look at those three parts of Jeremiah's lament, his final lament, and then 20 more years of faithfulness and adversity and perseverance and discouragement. And he finished well. I wonder what Jeremiah would say if he were preaching. Well, I can tell you this, if he were here, I'd sit down real quick and listen. And he could say something like this, it was worth it. It was worth it all. I have no regrets. Our God does all things well. He let you be put in the stocks. You got beaten. You got hated. There was a plot against your life. Yes, 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 that's all true. Oh, God works in such strange ways. Aren't you familiar with Isaiah 55, 8? His thoughts are so far above ours. His ways are so different than us that we, can, we can't even imagine what, what he's doing. But is there not a larger story of love that is unfolding in our worst moments and if Jeremiah were here, I think he'd say, well, yes, do, do you not believe it yet? But I wonder if one's, one way that the book of Jeremiah can serve us today, this would not be the central way, but it might be one way. His story, the book of Jeremiah, all 52 chapters, is a powerful exposure of the popular lie that is epidemic in modern-day Christianity. His story is a powerful exposure of the popular lie that if we live right, God will see to it that our lives go right. That isn't how it works. And if troubles come, the lie continues, they come because we lack faith. So all who are in the middle of trouble deserve judgment, criticism. Where's your faith? As opposed to troubles come at God's sovereign hand for a purpose that we cannot easily see as good. I want to finish my thoughts with a very personal story that means a great, to me, a great deal to me. It's a picture that I keep in my mind that perhaps it will uh, stir something in you as well. It's very personal to me, so it stirs in my mind very deeply. My father, toward the end of his life, I had him speak at one of my conferences. I said, Dad, share with everybody, and about 400 people at this conference, whatever you want to say as a man now in your mid-80s. And Dad said some remarkable things, and then he said this, he said, I've heard that those, that sailors, when they're a long time at sea, can actually smell land before they see it. And he said, I'm at the age now where I think I'm getting a whiff of heaven. And it's okay. I can endure and persevere. And not knowing at that time that he'd be called to persevere watching his beloved wife slip into Alzheimer's for their last seven years of marriage. 
And I have a picture of my father. His mother was in an assisted living, a locked unit for the Alzheimer's patients. She was severe in her Alzheimer's. And I remember many times, one in particular, dad was sitting next to mother, and he had his arm around her, around a woman who had no idea who had his arm around her. She didn't recognize my father. And dad sat there with his arm around mother, and he just held her. And the words that he said to her before he got up to leave to go back to his room on the other side of the assisted living facility, his last words to her were these on this particular occasion, the best is yet to come. And then he left because the best wasn't here yet. And what did he do? My father went back to his assisted living to continue the Bible study he was leading with three other, other elderly people in his assisted living unit. Perseverance through discouragement, faithfulness through adversity. When troubles come and our faith goes on trial, as mine has so many times and I'm sure will continue to be, there's parts of me that are terrified of the future because I have no guarantee that God is going to make the rest of my life comfortable. It may be difficult, it may be wonderful. I know what I'd prefer, to live a healthy life till I'm 92 and die in my sleep at the exact same time that Rachel does. <laughs> Faith goes on trial. But faith can win. Faith can win. We can go to our graves telling the world our God is good. Heavenly Father, you've heard so much from so many of us as we've been hurting over things in our lives, things that are difficult. We've questioned you, God. Oh, the arrogant nerve. And yet you encourage us to come to, uh, to, come to you in our weakness and our foolishness and our lack of maturity and to honestly express ourselves to you. Father, you've heard so much from me and so much from each of us here, I presume. And Lord Jesus, you've taken care of our worst problem, our sin. You've forgiven us so we have new life. Lord Jesus, help us to value that about anything else. Help us to value the life that we have in you far more than good health or far more than a good marriage or far more than good kids or a good job or good money or good success. We enjoy those blessings, but help us to value our forgiveness in Christ as paramount. And Holy Spirit, you've made us a partaker of the divine nature. And now we can live a little bit more like Jesus lived. In the middle of difficulty, we can bring glory to God by trusting that you are good and living to make known your name. Amen.